Hello and welcome to Play DNA. I'm Cassandra. I'm Damon. And I'm Sarah. And we are going to talk about board games that we played, that we liked, <laughs> that we didn't like. Everything uh, in between those two extremes. <laughs> um, so first of all, let's talk about games that we have already played, that we played again. Uh, we played Deception, uh, Deception Hong Kong again, which is always fun, but this time it was so easy. We played four times in a row, and every time the first guess was correct, like completely oh, no. <laughs> correct. Yeah, so I don't know if we're just too good or I don't know what happened, <laughs> but it was it was frustrating. It's like not fun when it's that easy to figure out who the who the bad guy is. Um, but we played that again, uh, and then we played Saboteur, which is another like social deduction game kind of that you you're trying to figure out who the bad guy is just by what cards they're they're playing um to to the board and uh it's okay it's like <laughs> meh i mean it's <laughs> it's better with friends we played it with strangers before we have it's more fun with people you know just like most social deduction games um we're better this time maybe it's also because there were less people like five people yeah i mean it's okay I, I wouldn't tell people not to. It's like small and cheap, but um, they're much better, I think. Much more interesting, like social deduction, deception games. I played Teach You again, like we always do. We played Teach You. <laughs> and then we played Cribbage, and I think that's it. I don't think I've played any other games besides those two mm-hmm. like, that we've already mentioned. All right. Well, I mean, I played Scythe, and that's something I've already played. We have already played Scythe, but it's been a really long time, and I think we played it before the... We definitely played it before the podcast, so I figured we could talk about Scythe. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I don't think we've ever talked about Scythe on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want Do you want to talk about it? Uh, yeah, well, we played Scythe uh, previously with two players. This time it was with three, four? Maybe four? Full four it was with four. So the full four players. Um, we had the expansion available that has more, but... Um, we had a good four players. I think it would have been too much with more people. Um, Scythe wasn't great with two. Uh, it was better with four. Uh, still, the game has the same problems. I think we talked. Did we talk about Scythe I, in this podcast? I don't, I don't think actually so. know. Probably I don't not. think so. Um, well, for those of you who are living under a rock or play <laughs> shorter, smaller games, uh-huh. Scythe is a, a strategy game involving giant mechs in 1920s after uh, World War One. Um, as you know, your history, we uh, ended up with a bunch of giant mechs in Europe uh, <laughs> formed out of combine harvesters and <laughs> boats and stuff um, marching around and collecting wheat and ore and stuff. This game is, is I want to say it's ostensibly beautiful, but it's actually kind of not. The, the art is wonderful. Uh, the art by Jacob Braselski is great. Um, but... But most of that art is not actually visible in the game. Um, it's on the cover of the game. It's on the, the cover of the manual. Um, it's on some of the cards you might never see in the game using these little stories uh, that are not... Well, I don't even want to say not well-written. They're not really written at all. Each story is just a fraction of a sentence. Um, like, you spy some sheep. Do you murder the sheep or do you herd the sheep? Those are the kinds of things you do in the game during these little story sequences, which will not pop up very often. Um, and that's the only time you'll ever actually see the art of the game. 
other than your little faction board. Um, everything else is going to be dictating on this like dudes on a map sort of presentation, um, which is good looking. Um, the mechs are interesting and they certainly don't look like anything you've quite seen before if you haven't seen Jakob Brzezowski's art. Um, but the game outside of those little stories also doesn't reflect much of like a, it doesn't have the same epic scope you would you would expect with like a beginning, middle and end. It's more of a point salad game. Um, less point salad before than it was with two, but still the point salad thing comes up. So uh, the end result of the game is just going to be tallying a wide variety of points from a wide variety of things where you can sort of almost specialize maybe in something. But if you really want to win, you're going to have to be broad, just kind of good at everything. Um, and uh, as a result, the game feels kind of, I don't know, samey, but also just very, <laughs> very fractured. Like it doesn't have a lot of focus. Um, there's just a lot of random elements to it uh, in terms of its setup, such that whatever unique, minor unique ability you have as a faction will probably be ironed out by the random additions of other things um i don't know it just doesn't tell a it doesn't tell a coherent story and it's quite long as a result uh so you you just sort of play it as like a very it's like a it's like an abstract euro game so it feels kind of the same where like the, the theme is interesting but has been pasted onto an abstract euro game um i don't dislike it as far as those kinds of euro games go um even as far as stonemeyer games go i don't dislike it um but now we've played it again, I probably won't play it again. Yeah, I think we played this pretty early and I feel like we played it pretty early in our like game careers, quote unquote. Like we played it when we hadn't actually played a ton of games. And I think the first time we played it, I expected something that it was not like because we had seen the art and we were like, oh, there's some really cool stories. And then it's like, oh, like the stories are one sentence long and we were expecting way more. And so we went in with kind of the wrong expectations. Um, playing it again, it's fine. I, I still wouldn't say I, I like it, but I would. I don't think I would. I wouldn't say I dislike it anymore. I used to say I didn't like it. Um, but partially the reason that I respond that way is because it's one of those games, just like Wingspan, that's just like, Oh my God, too many people are obsessed with this game and I don't know why. <laughs> so it's like, instead of being like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, why are you, why do you like this game so much? This is the game that put Jamie Stegmaier on the map, really. So um, it's like people just love it for whatever reason. Um, and it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, I liked the, I did like, the upgrading system, there's kind of an interesting upgrading system to, to make things easier for you and to make, like, to streamline your various economies in the game. Um, I, I liked that system, and I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. Um, so that that's, like, completely unique to Scythe. Um, but, meh, I don't know. <laughs> Play it if you can. It's fine. I don't understand why it's so highly rated on Board Game Geek. It's, isn't it still in the top 20 or top 10 or something? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. it probably is. It's Someone very, gave this to me as a birthday gift probably four years ago, five years ago. And it still has the plastic on it because clearly they don't know which kind of games I like. And I would never. Yeah, play it's this game. not your kind of game. <laughs> I'm debating whether just to give it to Glenn for his next birthday because he's been begging for Scythe and I'm, I haven't even opened it. So I don't know. Oh, Re-gifter, wow. But. It's a huge game and it's really expensive and 
I'm never going to open that box. So <laughs> it's terrible. How much is it? It's like $80 to $100 or something. It's ridiculous. It does have a lot of miniatures. I mean, whatever you think it is, it's not that. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a relatively straightforward Euro. There's not a whole lot of like, it looks like there's going to be a lot of like aggressive confrontation. There is not. uh, There's some. There's some. If you play with four, there's definitely more, but most of the game is relatively solitary. Um, Heaviness-wise, you could play it, Sarah. It's not like it's a really heavy, like, difficult game. It's just one of those games that's not intuitive. Like, once you learn it, you're fine, and you don't have to run back to the rule book a bunch, but it's it's not easy to sit through the explanation. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, no, thank you. I don't think I'll ever open that thing, but maybe I'll sell it or something. I think it showed, I mean, playing it again showed that Stegmeier's core game design philosophy is that upgrading is, isn't is a means to an end. It is the end. Yeah, uh, he's a big fan of upgrading All stuff. of his games now have the same, like you can now see a very clear through line, like what connects all of them is that the the means to win the game is through upgrading. Upgrading is not a means to upgrading is not a means to get to a I don't even know how to describe it's hard to even describe because no other I don't know, there's not a lot of games that do this. Like there's not a lot of games where the majority of the points you earn are through upgrading. Not Yeah, I've never played upgrading. a game like that. I mean, you did. It was Red Rising, Jamie Stegmeyer's card game. Does Red like, Rising have upgrading? I don't recall any upgrading. Well, I mean, you're trading cards for other cards. Yeah, you're just switching out theoretically cards. better cards, which will then give you points, not abilities to get points. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. There's just a very fixed idea that, like, it's many games have the idea of upgrading. You have an engine that you build in order to achieve something. But this game, the engine is the achieving. You mm-hmm. build the engine. You don't need to use the engine. You mm-hmm. just build the engine, and then it's like, nice engine. Here's your points. It's a very weird, non-ending sort of design, and and he and I did come into conflict over that personally over some of my designs as well. That like I'm very focused on endings. That like a strong ending is really important. And yeah, you're you guys are very very different designers. It's just interesting that we have a very similar like like I don't want to say design philosophy, but like artistic philosophy, like structural philosophy. Like we both believe in these like kind of epic scopes, uh. but. I believe very strongly in like beginnings, middles, and ends. And for Jamie, it's like, no, 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 no. Beginnings and middles, endings are for chumps. Uh, <laughs> you should end in the middle, definitely, because because a climactic finish is too aggressive, too confrontational, too problematic. Like Tapestry was like the perfect example of that, where there is no confrontation; well, yeah. it's just the upgrading. Tapestry is like on its own level of bad, but. <laughs> Tapestry and Red Rising, so so bad. It's not that the mechanics. It's not the mechanics of Scythe is fine. It's not the mechanics of Scythe don't work. It's just that the mechanics with the theme laid on top Mm -hmm. make you wish for more. Mm. By itself, it's fine. The system Mm -hmm. is fine, and that's why Viticulture works. Is because you don't. You're not like, where's the point where all the wine gets into war? What is like? (laughs) You don't care. It's not. It's not how wine works, right? So the game functions like wine production is the end of itself uh-huh. right it doesn't there's it's not you don't produce wine to also make boats right that's not the point um so that's its structure works very very well um because the engine is the is the finish mm-hmm. um but in all these other games it certainly becomes questionable when you're playing them it's certainly intuitively you expect oh i'm building an engine in order to achieve 
something that is not the engine itself. Now, that's not the case. Scythe, just like Tapestry, just like every one of his systems since Viticulture, um, the upgrading is the game. What else did you guys play? Uh, so I got, for, for as a late birthday present, I got uh, the Epic Adventures Unlock Box. So these were some of the few that we had not played before. Um, so the level one was the seventh screening, which I remember you really liking, um, Sarah, and we super disliked it. <laughs> I don't remember this one specifically because it was a really, really long time ago that I played it. Okay. It was terrible. Um, it was <laughs> terrible. We So it's unlock, right? So So like, I understand that escape the room kind of games are no longer you're not always escaping a room right that's fine but the beginning of this this one is just like you're going to see a movie and it's like okay what are we trying to do and it's just like oh you're trying to see a movie so we're like what okay what what do we have to do it was just so we never knew what we were trying to do because all you're trying to do is watch a movie and sometime, well, you're watching the movie in the first two minutes of the game. It's yeah, not like you're, you're not watching, watching the movie. movie, and then sometimes it's it's like, haha, you're not. Sometimes it's like you're in the movie, and sometimes it's like, haha, now you're in the audience, and you have to do something in the audience. You have to like refill your popcorn, or you know, whatever. Um, it, we thought it was lame. <laughs> we didn't like it. <laughs> I don't recall that one very very well. Oh, okay. So. I I recall that you enjoyed it, but. Um, we we did not, but the other two in this um, grouping are I I really like. So um, the Dragon Seven Tests is the second one. That's the level two. Oh, and- I remember hating that one. I remember oh, really? hating that one. <laughs> There's a specific <laughs> puzzle that was pointing us a direction, and uh-huh. it was totally pointing that way. And then we were totally off the whole time. And it was like, no, it's this puzzle. It's like, that wasn't used before. Oh, like, I no. don't know. I thought it was so dumb. Anyway, I hated that one. I but. will say that the I didn't like the end puzzle. You know how the ends are always like, oh, they have to be really epic in some way. The end puzzle, I, I didn't like very much. But the thing that I like about this one is that, so in Unlock, um, all Unlock games use an app. So you're, you've got cards, and then in order to check your answers, a lot of the times you have to use the app. Um, and having the app is also great because it allows you to do these really unique, interesting things. You can um, interact with things called machines. So if you have the machine symbol on a card, it means you can open it in the app and you can do things in the app. Um, so it, it gives you the opportunity to have like sound puzzles and puzzles where you have to like actually you know, tap things into your phone. And anyway, um, one thing I really like about this one is the answers to everything or like the, or not the answers to everything, but the way that you get hints sometimes is through something called the I Ching. And the I Ching is like a traditional, like in the real world, it's a, it's a traditional like divination tool. Uh, and it's like these sticks that you lay down and, um, if they get laid down in a certain way, then they mean something, you know, whatever. But um, it's fun because in the game, instead of looking for hidden numbers, like you are in a lot of games, a lot of games like this, you're looking for hidden I Chings. So you're looking for hidden, like it's six lines. 
Um, so everywhere you're always looking and you're like, oh, is this a lie? Like, are there six of them? No, okay, then that's not the I Ching. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that aspect of that one. Um, and then mission seven, or mission number zero seven. Is this the one where it says. you're in like an office or something? Because I liked this one a lot. I remember thinking that it was cool. Yeah, uh, are you in an office? Do you start in an office? Nope. Yeah, I don't remember being in an office. Uh, I don't remember if I've, I don't remember if I know this one. Then I mean, I did like play a, it obviously. But. It's a secret secret agent thing. But um, this is this is a ninety minute game. So the other two are sixty. This one is a ninety, and it's three stars. So it's one of the more difficult ones. And uh, I liked it. There's there's a lot going on. It was fun. Um, it took us like most most of that time. Um, so which I like. I don't like finishing an hour-long game after like 20 or 30 minutes. That's no fun. Um, and uh, yeah, it had a lot of the like fun traditional unlock creativity where they they use like every part of the game. You know, they, they just, they, they, they come up with really creative, interesting ways to, to use the cards, to use the box, all, all that stuff. So yeah, cool. overall, overall it was good. Um, I played Nagaraja. Um, Nagaraja is a uh, two-player game by Bruno Cathala. Um, stumbled into it Ooh, randomly. I like heard him. about it at all. Um, <laughs> his games are always really interesting. Well, he, it's unique. Like there's not like re- repetition between his games usually. Um, this one was unique. Uh, it's. I don't think it actually. I couldn't understand why it was two-player only. Really, everybody. Well, each of you has your own board um, that you're working from. Uh, and I think it might be two-player just because of the limit on the number of pieces, uh, but there's no good reason that this is only a two-player game. You're ostensibly, I don't know what you are, you're, you're not managers of temples, you're archaeologists, I think. I don't know, unearthing temples in India? Uh, the temples start as this empty space of nine um, like gears, stone gears on this board, uh, and you have this hand of cards, that at the top and bottom, the top shows uh, these sticks, and the bottom shows an ability. And the sticks are almost like dice. I think they call them fate sticks. Uh, there's three colors of them. Each of them have like different distributions of pips and nagas, which are like these snake-looking things. Mm. Um, and so you use the pips to win tiles to put in one of the nine spaces on your temple, or you use the nagas to play the bottom half of your card, which have abilities. Um, and so uh, it already is fascinating because the sticks are not dice. They're not, they shake them up and then you toss them like sticks, uh, which makes them just kind of fascinating and interesting yeah, to touch. Yeah, that's fun. They're fun to like hold. throwing bones. Um, but then the uh, other little wrinkle is that the setup has you randomly distribute these nine relics around the outside of your temple. And the goal is to get 25 points and the points are distributed throughout these relics. Um, the highest point relics, the sixes, there's three of those and they're cursed. And if you get all three, you lose the game instantaneously. Oh, um, wow. So there's a lot of little things going on all at the same time. There's this like card game, there's this dice game, like simple card game, simple dice game, simple like putting tiles down to form a path to reveal the relics, but then also memorizing the relics because you can't have three curses. And if you ever change a path so that it's no longer reaching the beginning of your temple, then you flip over the uh, relic that might be offending. So for example, if I have two curses, maybe I want to get rid of one, I could 
move my path and get rid of one to try and reveal something else. There's a lot of little things going on in a game that's not very large. Hmm. Um, it's not that hard to learn, but we played several times just because it was it was difficult to wrap your head around exactly what your strategy should be when there's so many different things going on. There's like a card game, a dice game, a memorization game, like a tile laying thing. All of them are very simple. All of them feed back into each other in a really interesting way, like most of Bruno Gafala's systems. Um, but there's a lot of interesting wrinkles inside of it. Uh, hmm. It was good. It was not thematic by any <laughs> means, um, but it was good. It was balanced in an interesting way. And I guess the main problem would be that it could go on quite some time and then you could just reveal three curses and die instantly and everything the opponent has been doing to succeed, all of their best laid plans, did work only because they didn't lose. Right. Oh, um, yeah. So I can screw myself over and then everything you've been doing to like succeed by wit has been meaningless because I just failed. Would you right. say it's an abstract strategy? It's definitely an abstract strategy. Yeah, for it to be an abstract strategy, Abstract strategy and have that big of a luck component is very surprising. Well, it's not necessarily, well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that it's not necessarily luck. Like, if I really want to play to win, I probably shouldn't be doing that. I should probably be, like, using the card's abilities to take peeks at the things that are <laughs> down there or, like, be, you know, making more reasonable choices. But it is a race to 25. The first person to 25 wins. So there is an advantage to taking risks as well. I don't know exactly what the, you know, math breaks down to. Um, but yeah, that was the only thing I saw that was maybe an issue. And again, I think you'd have to play more more games to find that out, um, that one person could just get to three and lose. And that wouldn't be a problem if this was a three or four player game, because then one person would be like, oh no, I'm out. Too bad. And I think that might be the reason, maybe that's the only reason that it's two players is because that would make player elimination a part of the game. So if you had four players, then one could reach three curses, lose, and then have to wait while everybody else keeps playing. But the game itself is not that long. I think it would still be more advantageous as a not two player game. There's nothing specifically two-player-ish about any part of the system hmm. um, other than potential link limit of components, but there are a lot of sticks in that box. There's a lot of sticks. Uh, so there's plenty fun. to go around. It's a good, it's a good system. Um, it works. Uh, I think, I think it works from my limited play. Um, I enjoyed it. It was good. Well, I only played one game this week, which is sad, but it is what it is. <laughs> and it was called... Uh, Beacon Patrol. This is published by Pandasaurus Games. And it's kind of like a so Well, it, I played it solo because Bo hasn't been able to play oh, wow. games with me. So it's one to four players. And it's basically like Carcassonne on steroids. So instead of like claiming territory like you would on Carcassonne, you lay these tiles down, you have a ship, and it moves across the board. It can only move in places where there's water, obviously, because it's a ship. It can't go through land. So it kind of limits where it can move and the tiles that can be placed. You're placing these tiles to try to discover as many lighthouses and buoys and other like land as possible. It's a very, very hard puzzle. It's basically just a puzzle. I don't know if it's actually a game. Mm -hmm. But you're trying to, as a solo person, figure out how to discover as many lighthouses as possible. It's very hard to do when there's a bunch of land and your tr ship is trying to get around that land and see more things. I think I got the lowest score probably anyone's ever gotten in the game. I think I got like 16 oh. coins or something. <laughs> it was horrible. And 
I think like expert level is like 60 or above. And I was like, I suck. If like, if I'm supposed to be able to get 60 and I only got 16, I would say it's a very hard game. I definitely keep playing it. I will play it as a solo game more often just because I like solo games and I like challenging myself to see if I can get a higher score the next time. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you really like hard puzzles. This is a game for you. Like it's a really hard puzzle. I don't know how to figure Mm -hmm. it out. And I, I played it like three times, so I don't know. <laughs> huh. Well, yeah, if you play it with another person, you'll have to come back and tell us about it because um, that's that's interesting. It doesn't sound like um, it would be as much of a puzzle with multiple players, no? It kind of is because the tiles can only be, unlike Carcassonne or other games, like they can only be oriented one way, which is what makes it so challenging. So if, Hmm. for instance, you've kind of blocked yourself off in this area and you really just need uh, one that has, I don't know, water, water, land on one side, you might not get lucky and you could have screwed yourself over. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Well, the last game that we played was um, the the final one that you sent us, Sarah, that we hadn't gotten around to yet, which was Herd Mentality. Yeah. Um, We waited because you, you need like a big group of people to make it make sense to play. Uh, herd mentality. You, Sarah has talked about it before, um, so I'll be brief. But it's it's just a game where you draw a card. It asks you a question like, "What is the best Disney movie?" or "What's the thing that you would least want to find in your car?" or you know whatever it is. And then everybody answers the question, but they're trying to answer it in the way they think is the most common way to answer it. Um, so it's pretty much the exact opposite of just one. Um, and, uh, if you are the odd one out, like if everybody answers, like if a few people answer Beauty and the Beast and it's like two people answer Pocahontas and you say Notre Dame, Hunchback of Notre Dame, then, and you're the only person who said that, then you get this pink cow, which is in the middle of the, uh, board. The board is literally just for the pink cow. There's nothing to this game. It's um, in a barn. It's kind of in a barn. Yeah. It's, it's in a little, it's got a little like fence enclosure uh and then if you have the pink cow then you can't win the game so you need to wait until somebody else makes a terrible mistake and then they're the pink cow so um very simple like very very typical party game i gave it immediately to our friend who likes these kinds of simple party games it's like oh you take it i'm not we're not gonna play this again but um but it's fine if you're looking for like a really really simple party game then it could be a good choice for you although i think that just one is is a better game and it's very similar there's no way to really get rid of the cow which is a problem because i don't know i just found it was really hard to get rid of it once you had it because you're trying to like everyone else. Get well, the yeah, same you answer. you can't do anything about it. Basically, yeah. you just have to wait for somebody else to make the same mistake as you did. So, yeah. In my yeah. opinion, the best part of the game was touching the cow. It's a really soft and squishy, and it feels good to touch the cow. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's a cute cow. I mean, that's it, the, as far as like table presence goes. It's just the cow. It's just like well, and the it cow. looks like a pig, so it's like confusing. It's like a pig cow or something because pink. It's pink. Yeah, it's pink. <laughs> um, but anyway, oh, before we wrap it up, I just remembered that last time we were talking about what the oldest game actually is, and I said it was Moncala. And Damon said, no, it's not Moncala. It's either... Um, Senna or something else. Sen- Senate? Senate or Ur. Senate or Ur. Um, so I looked it up. 
Um, Sanet is the only, is the oldest game we found a full set of. So it's about uh, 2,500 years old, or not, uh, 2,500 BC is where, where it, when it's from. 2,500 BC, and it is like a full board. So that's the oldest game that we've ever found, like a full board. Um, Ur is, I think that it said that it's from 3000 BC is the oldest one that they have found. Um, and I don't think it's a full, it wasn't like a complete set. Um, Moncala, they have found, and they don't know for sure that they're Moncala boards. Maybe that's part of the reason why, you know, people don't necessarily say it's the oldest game. But um, Moncala, they have found the like pattern of Moncala cups in the like built into the ground of houses. So it's it wasn't even like a board. It was literally like built into the floor of houses. Um, they have found evidence of Moncala boards um, that are from 5000 BC. Wow, um, that's those old. are the ones that are built in the houses. Yeah, they're like that doesn't built mean that that's, that into the, the game. floors. Like of there's houses. so many other games that are built out of systems that are part of just something you have lying around like uh -huh. dice originally were just bones with things carved into them right but we didn't invent bones right 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 like yeah. bones were already there Well, that's that's one of the problems with mancala is that it's so common for people even still um for for people to use like seeds and other things to play with and that's not something that would have been like they would be long, long gone. Like we're not gonna find seeds that are thousands of years old so there's no like it, it's not like perfect evidence, but they do believe that there that um, there are several Moncala boards that have been found that date back to 5000 BC. So, how cool! I met this uh, really enthusiastic booth owner at this craft fair <laughs> over the weekend, and he he was selling all these you know games like two-person abstract strategy games, like ancient two-person abstract strategy games, like a Roman one. I can't remember what he called it, but he was explaining the rules to all these. And he was like, I bet you, you haven't seen this game. I was like, you're talking about Naffle Taffle? Because I've played that in uh -huh. Iceland. And it was like on the wall. And he makes his own boards and he was so thrilled about it. Like he talked my ear <laughs> off for a good, I don't know, 20 minutes. And at one point I was like, I want to go see other booths. Like I, I'm not, I don't want to be rude to this guy, but I can't stand here talking to him for, you know, another 40 minutes. So I was like, that was really interesting. And then someone came and I was like, I'll see you later. And got the heck out of there. Oh. <laughs> he was just going on and on. Very cool though. Like he had made some uh, really cool handcrafted cribbage boards oh, and cool. stuff. They were really expensive though. Some people charge, well, the one he was charging $250 oh, for. Wow. Like the resin wood one. He's like, don't you need another cribbage board? I'm like, I have like 500 games. No, if I go out with another game, my husband's going to kill me, especially a $250 yeah. game. So I can't afford that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but they are fun to look at, though. I like seeing those. Like They are fun. And the marbles are cool. Yeah, those handcrafted boards are cool. Uh, I also played Flick 'em Up. Oh, um, I'm sorry. You're right. I've been intending to play Flick 'em Up for quite some time because it's very highly rated, but I also haven't played it because I don't like flicking things. <laughs> but I end up playing all these flicking games anyways because I do like dexterity games and maybe one of them is going to be good. This one's not. Uh, oh. Flick em I up. liked it when I played it. <laughs> I mean, you like flicking games quite a bit. It, not just I do. conceptually, but you actually enjoy the actual flicking, flicking yeah. process. 
Um, your cowboys. You liked that cat paw flicking game. No, I was good at cat paw flicking game. That's not really the same thing. Uh, this game I'm bad at. This game I imagine everybody's bad at. Your cowboys fighting outlaws, little wooden cowboys, little wooden uh, cactuses, wooden barrels, wooden boxes, cardboard houses. Uh, it's like a Wild West shoot 'em out town. It has 10 different scenarios to flick stuff at each other. Um, mostly you're flicking bullets, these little gray um, discs. You're just sort of flicking them at each other, trying to knock your opponent's cowboys down. Uh, and you have to knock them down to give them a, a hit. And then if you knock them down three times, then they're out of life and then they, they die. Um, it has the same problem as a lot of flicking games in that it's not simple enough. Like flicking is already hard enough just being a dexterity <laughs> system that having a whole other system of game on top of that just makes it weird and frustrating. Uh, and so this game has 10 scenarios. Each one has like different things, stuff you can pick up inside the houses, stuff you can drop off, um, health points, extra guns, like pretzels. I don't know what the pretzels do. I had mm -hmm. one in mine. I didn't know what it did. A um, pretzel? There's a lot of different things that the game can do, but all of them, like none of them actually serve the purpose of making the flicking any more interesting. Flicking at its core is already just sort of a, I don't know, maybe there's people who are really, really good at just flicking stuff, but for the most part, it's random. Um, you either flick well or you flick poorly. And if you look poorly, you get nothing. Uh, and the game is, it says it's in the rule book that the game can be sort of adapted to any given space. Um, but we were playing on a pretty big table and the game felt cramped, mm. pretty, pretty cramped. Um, and like the flicking would regularly, because you have to flick with such force that it would knock a cowboy over, you have to like armor yourself against your opponent's flicks because it's going to, it's going to hit you like a hockey puck. Oh um, no. And I don't know a space that wouldn't that wouldn't happen because of just how forceful you have to be to knock these little wooden guys over. Um, You'd have to have one of those fancy gaming tables that sunk in. Yeah, that has maybe. Like walls. But even then, you're gonna have problems. Like just like it's like a pool game with your finger. Like you're gonna have issues getting your hands into these tight little spaces next to these cowboys and flicking without knocking your own people over because the bullets have to be placed. That's next the, to the point, things. though. That's the point what? of the game not is to not. To not hit your own people. I, I shot, and that's why I would it's say hard. I shot myself in the foot about seven out of ten times. <laughs> um, you need to take some uh, gun classes there. So <laughs> why are you shooting yourself in the foot, So, dude? like, I get that that could be a part of the game, but it just makes it even more ludicrous. Uh, it's I, and I know why you would like it, because the wackiness of constantly shooting yourself in your own foot is definitely your kind of enjoyment. This I think that could, I definitely... This could last like 40 minutes. I definitely thought minutes. the game was way too long. Way says, too long of a it game. It says on the was. box, 45 minutes a game for a game where you're flicking little things at cowboys. That's a long time to be flicking yeah. stuff at cowboys, especially with like a 10 minute setup time. It could be long. There could be a lot, not a lot happening, but like a lot of flicking. Round after round after round of flicking. And it's not like missing is... I, I, I played this long, long ago. It's not like missing is fun. It's like no. you miss and you're like, oh, I guess I have to do it again. <laughs> it's not like you miss and you hit something else and something funny or fun happens. It's just, yeah, it the pacing was mm -hmm. weird for me. For yeah. like a dexterity game, you, I feel like fun dexterity games are just like constant action. But Yeah, would not recommend Flick 'em Up for many different reasons. <laughs> the flicking, the time, the difficulty, the setup. Uh, there's not much I felt like I got out of that. Um, so 
I don't think I've ever liked a flicking game at this point, really. Played a lot of flicking games. I really do You think you'd like Tumbling Dice not online. You played it online one time. Well, tumbling, but like dice, actual- but tumbling Dice isn't a flick. You don't flick the dice. You roll the dice. No, you flick them. You flick them? You flick them. We didn't get to play it on the online version because obviously you can't really flick with a computer. But right. in, in the actual game, you're flicking and it's a fun game because there is hardly any rules and it goes really quick. So... But also, you don't have to flick very far in that game. Well, they tumble. To... That's the whole yeah. point. Yeah. So you just flick a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Not a fan of flicking games now. They're like surprisingly difficult. That's, well, yeah, it's you're just trying to. So, it's so hard to flick. It's not a natural <laughs> it really control. Is. Like, it's not a natural <laughs> thing your fingers really do yeah. properly. You can't accurately control the, like, amount of disagree flicking. a game of cat and mouth you control them one every single game so that, wasn't, that was not a flicking game like, yeah I was, it's, I like, it's, it's a more flicking like, game no it was like Isn't a, catapult. There like a little catapult there was a ca- tiny catapult yeah it's a cat using. paw yeah, yeah that's that, not, that is not a flicking for all game. i know it was actually called a that's catapult a yeah. yeah that's different i'm all i'm all for catapult i'm not saying i'm not for dexterity games i definitely am yeah. and catapult games i mean i really like that monkey flinging coconut thing coconuts. yeah coconuts but like flicking is not the same catapulting cool yeah hitting with a stick sure like rolling things onto other things fine but flicking <laughs> no from tiddlywinks on flicking is not appropriate i agree not, not a great I, system i agree i'm over the flick i still <laughs> i'm still supposed to play catacombs which i know is even longer and has even more rule sets involved in doing its little flick dungeons but I don't think at its core flicking is a very fun, a very fun mechanic. Um, catapults are fine. I mean, I'm, I can do those. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find a list of all the games that we played, you can find them in the podcast notes below or uh, at our website, which is playdnapodcast.com. And as always, play safe, play often, and we'll see you next time. Bye.